It is a great new series that we're starting. We're calling it uh, Creativity Under Attack. So this will be a three-part series. We're starting it today. Creativity Under Attack. And, uh, and as we open today, our key scripture is found in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, if you'll turn there quickly. You say, I don't know how to find that. Sure you do. It's the first page in your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. It's actually the first verse of the Bible. And uh, with this, we're going to see kind of the biblical attribute of who God is and his very, uh, one of his premier attributes found right here in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters. So as we open up the Holy Scriptures, we find uh, there's many attributes of who our God is. He's, he's the God of love. We know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We also know that he's, he's a God of judgment, that he righteously judges uh, between wickedness and rightness. We know a lot of things about our God as we look through Scripture and about his attributes. But the Holy Scriptures open up, which I think is very significant, with what I think is one of his key attributes, and that is he is creative. He is the God who created heavens and earth. I don't care what your professor said in college. He created the heavens and the earth and all of humanity. And so uh, as you continue reading, you see that over the next six days, what all he created. In fact, I was thinking about this. It'd be kind of fun today. I have uh, I have a gift card to, uh, to Cheesecake Factory for $25 because you didn't eat enough food this week, so you need more. Actually, you know you've been eating sandwiches for the last two days. And so so I want to give this to someone, but I'm looking for someone who'd be willing to stand up here with me and tell us what God created each of the six days. And if you get it right, I'm going to give you the card. You want to do it, bro? Come run up here. Come on. Come on up here with me. Come stand up here. Yeah, give it up for him. Give it up for him. Come on, man of God. I love it. You know him, right? All right. I like it. I like it. Now, here's, here's the thing. Man, you, I'm going to have to stand on the step. Come here, you good-looking man. How you doing, man? God, stand this way. So you know him. You ready? Hold on. All right, so I need you to close your eyes because I'm going to put them on the screen so we can check you. Now, what's your name? Darren. Darren? Darren. De'Aaron. Darren. Derek. Mm-hmm. I got it wrong the first four times, but I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> All right, Derek. All right, close your eyes. All right, so let's see how well you do. All right, so let's put it on the screen. What? All right, what about the second, the first day? Yeah, sure, close enough. Light. And what about the second day? What did he create? Light, sky, you got it, dude. You're right there. Third day, what did he create? The plants. The plants. Good job, Derek. You're killing it, man. What about the fourth day? Starting the moves. Yes, you did it. So good. What about the fifth day? All the living creatures. You did it again. All right, we're killing. And then what about the sixth day? The last day, who did he create? Who has two eyes, two ears? Man and woman, you heard a man, Derek. Yeah, God bless you, man. Give Derek a hand as he goes back to his seat. Derek, you're awesome, man. Good job. You had me nervous there. I'll tell you right now, you had me a little nervous, but you killed it. Man and wife, that's right. Look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 14. I want to point this passage out. I thought this was really cool. I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. It's kind of fun. It says, uh, and this is talking about Abraham. It says, uh, Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. Look what it says. That, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, talking about Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God 
who brings, come on now, the dead back to life and who creates new things out of no things. Come on, out of nothing. Are you there? Say yes. And today, as we dive into this, I'm working from the premise that our God is the creator. I'm working from the premise that his attribute, his number one attribute that we find in scripture, his first initiation to him and who he is, is that he is creative. He created something from nothing. I love what this Roman says. He says he takes new things, he creates new things out of nothing. Come on now. This is the God we serve. And the reason why I believe this is so critical, because I believe with just a little bit of time you have left in this year, that if you're not careful, that life has become mundane and that you've lost your creativity. But the God who made you, the Holy Spirit who lives and abides within you, is the created being. In fact, Satan himself, in my opinion, can't create anything. All he does is kill, steal, and destroy. All he does is tear down. He can't take anything and make it better. And the reason why, because of his nature being wickedness incarnate. And as a result of that, what happens is he tries to destroy everything in our life. And if you're not careful, you'll look up one day and you've lost your creativity. Remember when you were a kid and you were in, and and you remember when you were like in second grade and you just would dream up all these ideas and you would, and and you would color things that were crazy and cool. My, my daughter's in fourth grade and she is so creative. He's always come up with crazy ideas like, Dad, what if while we're riding our bicycles, we also play go fish? And like, baby, you can't do that. And the reason why I say you can't do that is because I'm a responsible adult because I have lived life and I know what works and what doesn't work. And as a result of being responsible, I have become mundane. I have become a lack of creativity flowing through my life. In fact, I looked up a couple months ago, and this is where this message is coming from, and I have been so busy fixing all the problems and being so responsible for the church and doing all the things that I need to do that I lost creativity. And I was before the Lord. I was just like, Lord, what do you want to do about this? And what do you do about this? And I realized that there was no creativity in me because it had been sucked out by being responsible, by doing my job, by doing what I'm supposed to do. But I want you to know that the God of heaven and earth is the great creator. And as his sons and daughters, we should be creative. I believe that you and I should be, as Christians, we should be writing the best songs. I think it's it's time that we stop listening to all the secular songs and trying to tell, tell everybody how to love Jesus by writing based on what they said and start getting downloads from heaven and these creative ideas on how to redo music. I think you should be painting the best paintings and writing the most amazing poems. And, and I'm believing from this congregation will come songs that the whole world sings and it brings healing and deliverance to people. I believe we should be so creative that out of our own people, out of Christian people, we should come up with solutions for cancer and we should come up with all of these great creative of things that transform the world, but it won't happen. It will not happen as long as we are being so responsible that we lose our creativity and become mundane and frustrated just making it through life. God didn't make you that way. He didn't want you to be that way. He's not that way. Why? Because he takes nothing and he makes something. Jesus was so cre- creator. Are you with me? Say yes. Oh, you can do better now. Are you with me? Say yes. Jesus was so creative. I love this about Jesus. Jesus didn't come. Think about his, his business model. Think about his ministry model. Hey, I'm going to come to earth, and I'm going to pick 12 idiots, and I'm going to go around ministering with them. Who did that in that time? Not only that, but I'm going to be a traveling rabbi. The rabbis of his day, guess what they did? They camped out at a synagogue and had all the people come to them. And that's when they would do their little things and minister to them. Hallelujah. What did Jesus do? Jesus is so creative. He said, here's my marketing plan. I'm going to go out on the countryside and anywhere I can find people, I'm going to get them healed and delivered. And as a result, they'll want to follow me. 
What a, great, what a great creative way of doing things. No one was doing anything like that. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to us. Thank you, Jesus. He was so creative. And I loved how he solved problems. Oh, wait a minute. The IRS is knocking out the door and we don't have any money. I tell you what. Peter, go catch some fish. And in a fish's mouth, you'll find some gold coins. Go pay what we owe. That's creative. Or how about this one? Oh, wait a minute. You can't see, sir? Give me a second. <laughs> Let me make a look. Give me a second, sir. Here, take this mud and put it on your eyes. And, 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 and then go wash, and it'll all go away. Can you imagine that? How creative? Why couldn't he just went, zip, done, next? Because he's creative. I like his problem, how he solved the problem that the boat got too far out in, the, out in the lake where he couldn't get to them. Like, dang, they're way out there. Huh. I tell you, I'll just walk on the water all the way to them. That's the Jesus we serve. And yet we get bogged down and lose the creativity that God intended for you and I to walk in. And as a result, it kills our faith. In fact, can I just point out something to you? You only have 8% of your year left. 8%. You're just weeks away from closing out 2017. When you started 2017 in January, you had all these dreams, all these hopes. You wrote down a bunch of things you wanted to accomplish. And I'm sure some of you have accomplished many of those things. But if you're not careful, you'll look up and you'll say, oh, my goodness, I blew it again. It didn't happen again. And you say, you'll quit. But I want you to know, with 8% of the year left, God can do something so cool and give you such a creative idea and such a breakthrough moment that things turn on a dime. Do you know that they score more points by, per capita on the football games in the last two minutes? If you take all the quarters and you put them together, most of the time they score more in the last two minutes and they're the most crazy ways of doing things. Why? Because they know it's come to an end. They got about 8% of their ball game left. They got two minutes left and they're throwing all kinds of trick plays. You know, they're doing the Statue of Liberty play. They're throwing things out and like, what are they doing? Why? Because they know I only got two minutes left. Let's do whatever we have to do. And they come up with creative plays to win the game. Can I tell you, with eight seconds, or excuse me, 8% of your year left, God can give you a creative idea to turn things around. He can give you a creative solution to the problem that has been nagging at you all year long. But you and I got to break through all of this mundane living and get back to a place of creativity. There's a passage in Genesis chapter 30. We're going to study it for just a moment. And I'll tell you the storyline. I'm not going to read all of the chapter. But in Genesis chapter 30, there's a storyline about Jacob and Laban. Now, Jacob was uh, God's man. He becomes Israel later. It's what God calls him, Israel. And uh, so he's the father, one of the fathers, if you will, of the Israelis. And so Jacob, uh, he goes to a distant land. He meets this beautiful young lady. He wants to marry her so he goes before the father and the dad says yes you can marry her only after you've worked for me for seven years and then I'll give her to you because he had no money he said all right I'll do it so he works for seven years on his wedding night the dad switches out the pretty daughter for the ugly daughter and I guess they wear these little veils so they couldn't see and they go in the tent to consummate the marriage and he looks up and is like dang that ain't the one too late and so he goes to the dad and he says you cheated me he goes oh I'm so sorry about that work for me another seven years and I'll give you my pretty daughter so he works another seven years towards the end of his seven years he gets the new fresh daughter but now what's happened is the father has him under control he can't go anywhere he doesn't have any money he's now got kids and, 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 uh, and two wives he's got all this responsibility but he can't move back to his family to his home where he's from he's in debt up to his ears sound familiar and now he's got all of these problems and so this job this man owns his life and so he cries out to the Lord and he comes up with a creative idea the Lord gives him creativity and he goes to the he goes to his father-in-law and he says listen how about this how about for my payment from here on out any of the sheep that are born spotted belong to me and any of the ones that aren't 
belong to you. And obviously, the spotted sheep were very rare. They didn't have spotted sheep very often. Probably was less than 10%, maybe a 5% range. And so the father-in-law said, this is a good deal. I'm going to own everything this guy's not going to do. He's going to be my slave for me. And I'm going to end up with all kinds of riches. And so he said, deal. And he shook on it. And so as a result, as he was, as, as Jacob was going through this process, the Lord gave him an idea. And it was a crazy idea. He said, strip this particular branch, put it down in their water, and when they drink it, they're going to have spotted, spotted sheep. So he did it. And it began to explode. In fact, we'll pick up there in Genesis chapter 30 and verse 32 and 33, or just 32. It says, now let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat, and they will be my wages. He became more rich than his father-in-law gave him a creative idea. He his father-in-law with more sheep than what his father-in-law had simply because God gave him a creative idea. Some of you are locked down in business. Some of you are locked down in your schooling and you can't get past some things. You need God to give you creative ideas. Are you there? Say yes. The God that you serve is the creator of heaven and earth. The God that you serve, one of his great attributes is creativity. Are you there? Say yes. And so as a result, you and I should be living in great creativity. Creativity. We should be having great, cool, creative ideas and take what little we have and God can multiply that with creativity. I, I, was, I was getting my hair cut the other day and the little gal who cuts my hair, her name is Christy. She's so cool. And, uh, and she's, I said, so what, do, what did you guys do for uh, Thanksgiving? She goes, well, you know, we had the normal dinner and stuff. She goes, but, you know, we, we do what we call a ghetto bingo. I said, what? She said, ghetto bingo. I was like, what is ghetto bingo? She goes, well... It started years ago with my mom. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money. And my mom, you know, she kind of did sa- traveling sales. And so she stayed at a lot of hotels. So she would, you know, take the soap. She'd take the towels or whatever. And at Thanksgiving, she'd wrap them all up. And then we would draw numbers. And whatever numbered gift was numbered with the, 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 uh, the number in the jar, we would get to unwrap it. And, you know, yay, I got a holiday in towel. Yay. You know, it was just kind of what we did. And it was kind of silly and all. And she says, but, you know, we're, we've gotten beyond that now. And now the whole family does it. And it's whatever my mom finds on the discount aisle at Walmart. So, you know, it, it could be, you know, uh, it, it, could, it, it could be, you know, the little scrub your feet, little egg peg thing that the ladies scrub all the rough stuff off their feet or whatever. Or it could be, you know, a Snickers bar or something like that. And she says, the kids can't wait to do it. And it's little dinky gifts and it's silly and, it, and mom wraps them in all kinds of big things and, and you never know what you're going to get and it's like a white elephant thing, but that's all they talk about. Frank, can you imagine that? What creativity to take, you know, that last few minutes before you leave Walmart to go on the discount aisle and see what they're all but throwing away and buying that and holding that to Thanksgiving for the grandkids and the kids and everybody to unwrap. That's creativity. God gave her that. Why? Because she was able to see something and bring something out of nothing. Some mundane moment that after you eat, instead of just sitting watching TV, now the kids and the grandkids talk all about the little ghetto bingo game that they have to have and now it's tradition. Are you there? Say yes. So what we want to learn today is there are some obstacles to our creativity. And to this week and the next two weeks, not only are we going to look at the obstacles, but we're going to look at the solutions. I believe that each and every one of you should be having creative breakthroughs. God giving you creative ideas that change things, change your business, change your relationships, cause that, that mundane living of Christianity to come alive again, all because you tapped in to the creativity that is yours according to the Lord. But here's the number one obstacle do I see to mining your creativity. Write this down. Number one, the overwhelmed mind. The overwhelmed mind. See, most of us are overwhelmed, and I can prove it to you. 
We have so many things going on in our brain that it's hard for us to even concentrate, much less be creative. And that's what kind of transpires with me periodically each year. As I find myself being so responsible that I can't, I don't come up with any creativity. And it's like, man, Lord, where are you at? What are you doing? And it's because I'm so overwhelmed with doing everything right and fixing all the things that, you know, that we started and overseeing all these things. And what has to happen is you and I need to declutter the brain. Are you there? Say yes. We got to declutter it because we become overwhelmed. And see, our grandparents didn't deal with being overwhelmed the way we deal with it. And the reason why is because our grandparents didn't have Twitter. Our grandparents didn't have social media, didn't have Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And if you were to be honest with yourself and ask yourself a couple questions about what do you spend a lot of time doing, I guarantee you some of you spend two to three hours a day watching TV. So what do you have in your brain? Useless information. Many of you, all day long, you're back and forth on social media just seeing what everybody else is doing. So guess what it's creating? It's creating uh, uh, competition. You feel like, you know, comparison is, is all. You're sitting around, well, she got this and I didn't get that. And all these things are happening. Your grandparents didn't have that. They just did their job. And then when they sat on the porch in the evenings, they didn't have a whole lot to think about other than, I hope the corn grows or whatever they did for a living, you know. And so as a result, they weren't overwhelmed. We, on the other hand, are the most stressed out generation in the history of the United States. And that's after World War I and II. We're, we're now the most stressed out generation. In fact, 20-somethings are now having mental breakdowns, and they're calling them midlife crisis now at 28 and 29 years old. Why? Because they have way too much information bombarding and you know this if you load down a truck with so much weight eventually it cannot pull it if you put too much in a jar it won't hold it and what's happening is we're just bombarding ourselves with useless information you know how I know because you'll go to a movie theater you'll pay $12 and let me tell you how I know how stressed out you are and how overwhelmed you are and you pay $12 pay $20 for popcorn and candy and coke and all that the movie starts and five minutes into it we look over at you and you are why because for the first time you paused your life for just a moment and you pass out. That's why some of you, you come home from work, and as soon as you eat, and you're sitting there on the couch or the big chair, you're gone. You're toast. Why? Because you got way too much stuff happening. And you and I need to declutter our brains, our minds, and we need to get back. Come on, you there? Say yes. I, uh, <laughs> I, had, I did this experiment a couple years ago at a giant youth conference. All these teenagers were there for this Jesus moment. They all come from good churches, good youth group, good families. And I stood out in front of the conference with a video guy. And I just went from kid to kid, teenager to teenager. And I just interviewed him. I said, hey, uh, do you know uh, any of the top ten songs that are out right now? And it's amazing. We're videoing. And they're like, yeah. And they start singing all the lyrics to all the top ten songs that are out right now. I think it was a Christina Aguilera song. Might even been a Timberlake song. I don't know. They were just going down and they could sing every lyric. Didn't miss one. I said, that's amazing. And then I would ask him, now, are you a Christian? Yes. How long have you been? Oh, since I was a kid, I've been a Christian. Really? Can you name me three Bible verses out of the Holy Scripture? Uh, Jesus wept. Like, okay, where's that at? Like, Genesis or something? Like, no. Anything else? Uh, oh, John 3.16. I said, you only know that because it, at every baseball game, they have that behind the, you know, the catchers you know, in, in the stands. 
They didn't know any scripture, but they knew every lyric to all the popular songs. What that is, is a lot of wasted information going through the brain, clogging that up. And guess what that does? That hinders your creativity. That hinders you from being able to hear the creator of the heavens and the earth speak to you on creative solutions to the difficulties of life. And to come up with beautiful things that break through things and cause things to shift and change. And what we end up doing is regulating ourselves to just mundane living. I do my job. I do what I'm supposed to do. And that's what I do. And then we try to, because we long for creativity, then we go seek it in sinfulness simply because we're bored. That's why we do it. That's why you go back to the porn. That's why you go back to the drinking. That's why you go back to all that stuff. Because you're just bored. Why? Because you've gotten so mundane in your living and there's no creativity. But we're going to break that today in Jesus' name. And you and I are going to become some of the most creative, some of the most fun people to be around. And people are going to laugh and, and, and cry with us. And our office is going to say, you're the coolest person in the whole place. Please never leave. I mean, we're going to have creative ideas that change nations because God, our God, is the creator. Are you there? Say yes. So here is the solution for an overwhelmed mind. You ready? Here you go. And that is we need to Sabbath and meditate on the word. Sabbath and meditate on the word. When you study the Holy Scriptures, we see all throughout the Scriptures. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Sabbath, the Sabbath, and meditate on the word of God. Now, here's what happens. When you and I became Christians, you probably didn't get taught a whole lot about Sabbath. But the scriptures are very, very adamant about Sabbath. In fact, if you watch Christian television, you'll find these guys who love about the whole Hebrew, Hebraic roots, uh, going back to Israel and, what, and, and the Old Testament teachings and all these kind of pieces. And so what they'll do is they'll get to arguing about is Saturday the Sabbath, is Sunday the Sabbath. They get all of this doctrinal argumentation. And at the end of the day, they still don't Sabbath. But they point out that somehow one day is more special than the other. And I can just tell you this. As your pastor, I've done a lot of research on the topic. And at the end of the day, Jesus made a statement that kind of sets it all in place. They came to Jesus and they were mad at him because he healed someone on the Sabbath. And you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus makes a statement that really qualifies what Sabbath is all about. He said, Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he was saying was, and if I could help you understand it, God gave us a break moment to replenish and refresh us, not another religious duty that we're supposed to keep up with. So let me put it in perspective. What if I said Church on the Hill once a week is going to pay for you and your family to go to a spa? Eight hours, spa treatment. You can do whatever you want. You can get massages. You can sit in the hot tubs. You can get in the steam room. You just sit, relax. Don't talk to nobody. Just sit and chill. And you can get pedicures for you that like pedicures and manicures for you manny panty guys and all that kind of stuff. You get all that done, and we're going to pay for it. You don't have to worry about it. How many of you go, no, I'm not doing I would rather work hard. None of you would do that. And that's what God did. He said, listen. He said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something. I'm going to give you the greatest gift. Once a week, I want you to Sabbath. I'm paying for it. I'm going to make your crops grow when they shouldn't be growing. I'm going to bless you. If you'll Sabbath, you won't stress yourself. Why? Because God created us so he knows our limitations. Right? Anyone who knows anything about things that you build, you build cars, there is a, there's, a, there's a level that you can't push them past. You cannot push that car past that. And I love you, sweetheart, but you got to put oil in it every now and again, all right? You just check on it. 
Why? Because it wasn't made to be run without changing the oil. Why? Because there's a limitation on its ability. And God says there's a limitation on humanity and if they would Sabbath. Now, in Holy Scriptures, that probably it was Saturday. But for some reason, we now think that Saturday is so special and there's something magical about Saturday. And that's not the point at all. Jesus is teaching us clearly that we're just supposed to Sabbath. And I believe firmly, as Americans, whether it's Sunday, whether it's Saturday, whether you even could get in a whole day, if you and I could just carve out a couple hours a week to Sabbath and meditate on the Word, what would happen is it would debug all the junk in your head. It would cause all the overwhelming thoughts of the mind to be silenced so that you then can begin to hear your Creator speak to you in ways that causes breakthrough. And I'm convinced of it because the Scriptures teach us about it. In fact, I'd like to teach you today how to Sabbath and meditate on the Word as a solution to the creativity problem that we're having. And so let's start with what's called the law of first mention. So anyone who studies Scripture, anyone who's a theologian or doctrine expert, we have this concept or this thought process that the purest form of a thought process in Scripture or a doctrine is found in its first mention. Where it's first mentioned in scripture, that's usually the purest form of what was meant by it. So with that being said, let us go back to the book of Genesis where we see God instituting the Sabbath. And it was after, like Derek said, after he created all these six days. And let's pick up in Genesis chapter 2. And what I want to teach you is the principles of the Sabbath, not the regulations of the Sabbath. In the scriptures in the New Testament, Paul begins talking about that the regulations have been removed. Because we're saved by grace, not by holding to festivals and holding to, holding to all these um, you know, duties. But we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And as Gentile Christians, we can enjoy the Sabbath principle and not necessarily be tied to the, if you will, the expectations of the old covenant. Because those have passed away and now we have a new covenant in Christ. And so, but there are the principles in place that remain the same, I believe, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2 through 3. Read that with me. uh, Read along as I read it out loud. Verse 2, it says, by the seventh day, God had finished. Everybody say finished. The work he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested. Everybody say rested. From all his work. And verse 3, and God blessed. Everybody say blessed. The seventh day. And he made it holy. Because on it he rested from all his work of creating all that he had done. Now, why does God need to rest? Why does God, perpetual energy, need to stop? He, he built it into his own life, and then he expected us, because we're built in his image, to do the same. Why? Not because he's mad at us, not to give us a religious duty, not to give us another thing that if you don't do this right, you're going to die, but to give us an opportunity. Like I said, if we gave you a spa day, how dumb would you be not to take advantage of it? It's your own stupidity. That's what he's saying. Listen, I'm going to give you. So let's look at the four principles we see out of this first mention, if you will. First thing, number one, write this down. God finished. Everybody say finished. That means to cease from it, to be done with it. We should work hard, but there should be a moment where we stop and we finish it. And we're done with it. We just say, look, we'll pick it back up next week. We're not going to keep carrying it. Most of us carry our stuff right on back home, carry it right on into everyday uh, you know, times with our family. And so, and so it breaks us down because we never stop. We never finish and say, I'll pick it back up later. Right now, I've done all that I can do to be successful. We never stop anymore. We never turn off our phones. We never stop everything. 
and we just keep on. Listen, most of you, even while you've been sitting here in service, getting text messages from your friend, checking your Instagram post, and you're constantly bringing all this other stuff. And that, I'm telling you, that, that not stopping is what's killing you and me and killing our creativity. In fact, you'll see people who will go away for six months out of their industry, kind of go in you know, uh, obscurity or isolation, and they'll come up with all these great ideas that change the world. Why? Because they've been alone where they could think, where they weren't bombarded. Much less you add the fact that they are servants of the creator and how ex- powerful, experiential that can be, and that's what we're trying to get to. So number one, the first thing, we need to stop. Number two, write this down. Second thing that he did, God rested. He shabbat. Is the Hebrew word. He rested, which means to repose and to replenish, to replenish. Or as Josiah told me to say it, replenish, to replenish, to, to literally build back up. And when you and I don't replenish, when we don't build back up, and most of you are living this way, you're living at the bottom of the barrel. That's why, that's why you don't enjoy things anymore because you're so busy and you never rest at the bottom of the barrel and replenish as a result of not replenishing guess what happens you're you're at the bottom of the barrel and there's nothing to give to anyone else and that's why you feel overwhelmed again the overwhelmed mind keeps us from being creative the problem with the overwhelmed mind is that we don't sabbath a key to sabbathing is to replenish stop and then replenish to actually fill back up to actually build back up and can i just add this seeing movies isn't replenishing Playing video games isn't replenishing. Some of you, well, I deserve this. I deserve to get to do this. I get to go do this because I've been working so hard. And you do. You should get to play video games. You should get to go watch movies. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about replenishing the God nature inside of you that has been literally sucked out of you as you've had to deal with crazy people all week long. Are you with me? Say yes. And that's just your family. Hadn't made it to the work people yet. And so there has to be a replenishing. And and can I tell you something? That's what God did. He stopped, and then he started replenishing and and, and the calming of one's life. And then the third thing it says that he did, he then blessed it. Write that down. He blessed it. He spoke life over it. Why did God have to speak life over what he already created? Why? Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. We teach you that all the time. Say it with me. Life and death is in the power of the? Say it out loud. In the power of the? So some of you were told you were stupid by a stepdad your whole life. And so you grew up thinking you could not pass school, that you were stupid. Why? Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. The word spoken over you took on root, took on life inside of you. And now that's become your image of who you are and identity. Oh, but if you get around some folks who speak life, you get around the word of God where it speaks life, all of a sudden things start shifting. I, I, I testified in the first service that uh, if, if you haven't met Donna and Chris Hart, uh, they're amazing people. And uh, Donna Hart is the greatest cheerleader I've ever been around. Pastor, you're the greatest. You're awesome. And she just is a live speaker. She's done that since she's gotten saved. She said, you know, she was critical and she got radically ch- changed. And she said, from now on, my words are going to bring life. And if you ever meet Chris Hart Jr., their oldest son, it's amazing. That boy's in his 30s. He walks into a room like this. How you doing? He thinks he can change the world. Why? Because every day since he was born, his mama said, you're the greatest, Chris Arjun. You're going to change the world, buddy. You're going to do great things for God. So that man walks into a room different than some of us. Why? Because life and death is in the power to bless. Bless spoke blessings over that boy. And that's why I speak blessings over my children. I speak blessings over you. I don't do that just simply because, you know, it's a little religious duty. I'm actually breaking curses off your finances. I'm speaking life because someone told you you weren't going to amount to anything. I'm speaking raises and bonuses over you because you thought, oh, 
oh, and I never got, I always get overlooked every year. I'm speaking life over you. Why? Because life breeds life. And when you speak it over people, things begin to shift in Jesus' name. And that's why we should speak that. I, I, I learned this lesson years ago when I was running the Bible school, Christ for the Nations. Uh, we had a guy speak on the power of life and death in the tongue. A couple of days later, this student came up to me, and he's married, and he said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. He said, you know, uh, this is our first year here at Christ for the Nation. He said, we were missionaries with YWAM, me and my wife. He said, we got married and went straight to the mission field. And my wife's dad's someone really, really important in the AG, Assemblies of God. He's a big wig. And, and, uh, and, and he said, you know, and the moment we got married, everything I did, she compared me to him. Well, my dad would do it like this. Well, my dad would do it like And she would call her dad and say, what should I do about this? Instead of me, her husband. He said, and we had major marriage problems out on the mission field. We, we were out on the mission field a couple years, and we just about didn't survive. And so I thought, well, let's go come off the field, and let's go to Bible school. Maybe we can get healed up there. He said, and so we've been coming here, and my wife doesn't come to class. She sits at home in the apartment. And I'm telling you, Pastor Adam, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. He said, and this guy was speaking a couple days ago about life and death and the power of the tongue and the power of the blessing, to speak blessings. He said, you know what? I caught a hold of that. He said, and I went home, and I said, baby, would you come sit next to me on the couch? And she's like, nah. He said, please, please, one, one time for me. And she's mad about something like she always is. And he said, she sat down, and I put my hand on her. I started speaking life over. You are the woman of my dreams. You're the one that God intended for me to marry. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm going to stand beside you. We're going to have great, a great family. We're going to change the world. He said, and as I, as I first started, she's like, hurry up. What, what are you doing? He said, but I kept going. I kept going. And God kept giving me the words. And I kept speaking blessings. Power of the blessing over and over and over and over. He said, and finally, he said, 15 minutes turned to 30 minutes. And by the end of the 30 minutes, she's boohooing. God is healing her. She's holding me tight. He said, and all of a sudden, she turned to me, Pastor Al, and she started speaking over me. You are the husband of my dreams. You're the head of our home. I will serve you and follow you to the depths of the earth and we will do great things to God, for God together. He said, now I'm crying, she's crying. He, he said, God healed in 30, 45 minutes what three years of messy, broken marriage couldn't fix and we didn't know how to do it. He said, just keep that, fast, Adam. That was a good afternoon too. <laughs> I was like, I don't know about all that. Just keep on moving. So here's the fourth thing that God did and it says number four, so three, he blessed it. Number four, He made it holy, or make holy. He made it holy. See, in your times of Sabbath, in your times with the Lord, this should be the time where you go before the Lord and say, God, have I sinned against you? See, then you won't have to come to church and hope that I point it out to you. Or hope you don't get caught. Or hope that, you know, should I go and lift my hand or should I not? I don't know. I feel guilty. See, if you have these times with the Lord weekly, even if if you could just carve out two hours, what if you just took Monday night, and you put the kids in bed, and instead of watching TV and checking your social media feed and see how many people followed your comment that you made about how dumb your boss is or whatever else, instead of doing all that, what if you just took two hours? What if you started with an hour or two hours and just sat with the Lord? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. First five minutes, you're going to pass out, I'm telling you right now. Why? Because you're so overwhelmed. But more you do it, so all of a sudden you'll start breaking through a little bit at a time, and you'll start breaking through to where you start having creativity happen. You'll start getting thoughts that come to your mind from the Lord. Wait a minute, I can do this. You'll start speaking over that, that boss who's a jerk and say, Lord, I just bless him. I don't even know why he does that, but Lord, I bless him. And, I'm, I, I'm, uh, and Lord, whatever you want me to do, I, I'll do it for him. And God will give you an idea on bringing him his favorite coffee or something. You say, well, that's kissing up. Well, no, God told me to do it, and it breaks something through. And next thing you know, who's been your enemy becomes your best friend. And you start having these, cre- God has done that with me my whole life, guys. I'm telling you, you've got to carve out some time. And it doesn't have to be a Saturday or a Sunday, but you've got to carve out some time to Sabbath. And in that part, 
part, the last piece says, it says, and make holy. What will happen is the Lord will start speaking to you and start showing you some things. And, hey, you curse this lady out, and you need to go tell her you're sorry. Oh, I forgot all about that. You're right, Lord. And that, that thing will start taking on life. Before you know it, you're this vibrant, creative, super Christian again that you always dreamed of being and changing the world. Because why? Because you've learned to be obedient to the Sabbath. And all the junk that bombards your brain, all the information that's worthless and is stealing your time. See, the Lord showed me a long time ago. He said, Adam, if Satan can't trip you up into sin, he'll make you so busy that you become ineffective. That's one of his tactics. Bombard your mind with so much junk that you feel overwhelmed. Some of you feel so overwhelmed and you're just coming off a three or four day uh, break. How are you so overwhelmed? I'll tell you why. Because you've got too much junk in your brain that's useless. It's of no value. And God wants to replenish, replenish you. He wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you and give you creativity that gets you out of the situations that the enemy keeps trying to bring in. So let me give you a couple of thoughts, practical ideas on how to Sabbath. Number one, you can write these down or just remember them. Number one, set aside the time. Just set aside the time. Pick a, pick a time and just be faithful to it. Just set aside the time. So I'm going to do this Tuesday nights from 8 to 10. I'm just going to set some time to be with the Lord. I'm going to Sabbath. I'm going to be obedient to the Scripture. I'm going to Sabbath. And he's going to clean out my brain. He's going to give me, do a brain cleanse on me. It's just going to be beautiful, and I'm going to interact with the Lord. Here's the second advice I'd give to you. So number one, set aside the time. Number two, prepare for that moment or that day. Prepare for the day in advance. In other words, you're going to have to tell some people, hey, uh, Mama's going to take two hours to be with the Lord. If you open the door, I'm going to shoot you. I mean, I'm going to bless you, but do not come in the room. Or you know, whatever you have to do. You, listen, if you've got roommates, you've got to tell them, hey, listen, this is what I'm going to be doing at this time. You've got to prepare for it. You, 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 don't want to, you want to get the atmosphere the way you want it. Whatever you want to do, get your get you, get you, you know, TV unplugged or whatever you have to do so you know, somehow demonically it doesn't turn back on. And here's a third thing I would give you as a practical idea, and that is you need to quiet your surroundings. Quiet your surroundings. And for me, that's turning off my cell phone. For me, that's, that's you know, going in, in, in a back room somewhere where I can just have some time with the Lord. And this is Sabbathing. We're talking about Sabbathing. We're talking about getting before the Lord and replenishing, stopping, blessing. What should you be doing in this moment? You should be blessing your spouse. You'd be speaking life over your situation that's full of death. You should be repenting of any sin that the Lord brings to your mind. You, you, you should be cleansing out. All that overwhelming junk in your head. And just getting with the Lord. So, number four. You can do this if it's with family and stuff. And that is prepare a meal. For those of you that want to do it like that. And I love that. I love, all, I love when, when people do this and, and they eat together. There's something powerful about eating together. But if you're just doing it by yourself, you don't necessarily have to have your little snacks in the back room. I mean, whatever you want to do. Here's the fifth thing that I would challenge you to do. And that is journal. Write it down. Write down what God's talking to you about. You should be journaling when the Lord's speaking to you about, yeah. And you, and you start off, you know, Lord, I hate my boss. His head needs to explode. I mean, just journal it. And it'll be amazing. You come back a couple weeks later, and now you're blessing them. And journaling what God's saying to you and writing it down. It's powerful. Here's another concept that our thought process I would give you, and that is you need to read the scriptures while you're Sabbath, while you're having a moment. Just so I don't understand them, Pastor Adam. That's why I keep reading them until you do. The reason you don't understand is because you got all this other stuff keeping you from grasping. I find myself so stressed out, so many thoughts in my mind, that I literally, for me, I pray in the Spirit. I pray in my prayer language for about 20 minutes before I can even enjoy a Sabbath time with the Lord. 
Because I've literally got to, I got to remove all the thoughts. Because I'm like you. The moment I sit down and I start talking to God and I start just putting on worship and listen, I say, oh, I forgot to email that person. Dang, let me go do that. Oh, I forgot to take out the trash. Oh, Jamie's going to kill me. I, I, same, I, I'm just like you. And so if you, don't, if you don't prepare for this, then you won't actually accomplish it and you'll cut it short and then you'll feel bad about yourself. Here's the seventh thing, and this is the piece that I would tell you is the best, and that is sit still and be quiet. Now, again, you'll probably pass out within five minutes of that. But it's a good starting point. I want you to be the most creative people that God's made you to be. I think there are creative solutions to the problems you're dealing with. I think there are creative ideas that God wants to give you to give you breakthrough in areas that you keep stumbling over or being frustrated about. But I know that I know that I know that the first and foremost problem is that our brain is overwhelmed. We're just overwhelmed. We can't even think about it. can't even take the time to be before the Lord on it. And I need you and I to learn how to Sabbath and meditate on the word of God again. And we'll have the breakthrough we want. Amen. Stand with me all across the room. You guys have been magnificent this morning. I hope that this has helped you and blessed you like it's blessed me. Now I want you to do me a favor. Right where you stand. Would you just lift one hand before the Lord. And say this with me. Say Jesus. I want to be creative. Say it again. Jesus. I want to be creative. Amen. Put your hand down. Let me pray over you. Father I pray for the members and those visiting with us today at Church on the Hill. Lord I pray against being overwhelmed in their thought processes. Lord, I ask you right now, you've already provided solutions, Lord. I mean, there's no magic wand. There really is Sabbath and meditating on your word as we Sabbath. Lord, I know that that seems to be hard for some folks because they overwhelm themselves, they overcommit themselves. Lord, they have too many things that they're planning to do and they never get to any of them. Some of them they never accomplish. And then there are, there are others that are real organized. And so as a result, you know, they feel like they're really doing good. But Lord, each and every one of us, you have solutions. You have creative thinking that has been lost with our maturity and our responsibility. And God, I pray you bring us back to the place like kids. That when we're sitting with you, that Lord, crazy cool ideas come from heaven. Lord, brilliant solutions to things that we've just not been able to get past. Lord, simple things, Lord. Like, what are we going to do about the, the dog that we didn't mean to keep? Lord, brilliant ideas on what to do about this and that and, and creative breakthroughs in relationships with God. Lord, things like, like ghetto bingo. How fun is that? And Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that every man and woman in Church on the Hill would find the Sabbath, hold to the Sabbath, and then as a result, begin to detox that brain and see creativity come. If you just bow your heads with me for just a moment, I want to give a call to anyone that may be here today. Say, Pastor, I got to be honest with you. I'm not a Christian. I, I want to be, I, I'm away from God. Maybe you used to be a Christian and life happened. It happens, right? And we look up one day and we're separated from Jesus or we're divorced. We didn't even mean it to be. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. God's not mad at you. He didn't hate you. He didn't have a 12 step that you have to do or 10 hoops that you have to go through for his love. And he just wants you back. Or maybe you've never been a Christian. You never really understood it. But today you sense truth. You know that there's something happening here. You realize that the God who created us is actually interacting with us. And maybe you've never experienced that before. Well, friend, I've got good news for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So your part is simply... Confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart that he is the Christ. He's done everything else. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. That death on that cross, you know what it did? 
It created an account with your name on it. And every sin you'll ever commit was already prepaid for. That one drop of his blood prepaid for all the sins of the world. You and I have access to forgiveness. All we have to do is respond to his love and make him the Lord of our life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if I'm speaking to you, you say, I gotta be honest with myself and with heaven. I'm not a Christian. I don't think if I died today, I'd go to heaven. Friend, don't leave this place like that. Let me pray with you. You say, what are you gonna do? I'm not doing anything. Just get you to admit that to yourself, to the Lord here in a second by lifting your hand. I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not trying to embarrass you or point you out or highlight you. This is a private, personal, deep decision that you need to make. I know we're in public. I know there's a group of people here. But most of us in this room have made that decision already. And it's the reason why we gather to celebrate his goodness. So today, if you're away from God and you want to come back, or if you've never been a Christian, you want to make him the Lord of your life, would you just throw your hand up right where you're at? I'll pray with you. Hey, God bless you, sir. Thank you, sir. God bless you, son. All right, man of God. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you. God bless you. I see you. A couple more seconds. God bless you. Been many of you. A couple more seconds, and then we're going to move on. Hey, man, you can put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural? You lifted your hand and said, I need God. Now, since you're not best friends with him like I am, you're about to become best friends with him. I'm going to introduce you in a prayer. And we're going to pray a prayer of repentance and ask him into our life. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray this out loud alongside of you so that you're not by yourself. But at the same time, maybe you didn't lift your hands, but you wanted to. You just pray the prayer and mean it with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I ask you now to forgive me. I recognize I'm a sinner and I cry out for your mercy. Jesus, I declare you are my Lord and my Savior. I receive your forgiveness right now. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I ask you now, write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit because I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for men and women who lifted their hand, who prayed that prayer with all sincerity, asked you into their life. Father, I thank you right now, Lord God, that peace will come over them. Like a warm blanket wrapping around them, they'll sense your love and your forgiveness. Lord, I ask you now, Lord God, to wash clean all the thoughts that they're not going to follow through, that they didn't really mean it, all those lies that come to our brain, and let them hear your love crying out. I got you. We'll do this together. Lord, may they know that you're for them and not against them. And that may they serve you all their days. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen.